Well, hey, good evening, church. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, man, it's still hard to get used to Saturday nights, isn't it? Uh, in, in case you're new here, I'm being here to worship with you. Um, let me, my name is Andrew, okay? In, in case you're new here, I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we are in this fourth week of this series, the last week of the series called Crushed. And I want to give you a kind of a heads up. Uh, you can follow along. Um, there was some, some uh, like a paper sheet of, of notes. You can follow along with that uh, or on, a, on the free Bible app. Um, you can go there, follow along in the notes, but I want to give you a heads up, okay? Um, tonight's going to be a little bit different. I'm kind of calling an audible tonight, okay? Um, and if you know anything about football, that's when the play changes, okay? Right before the play goes in or at the line of scrimmage, okay? I'm getting too football geeky for you, all right? Um, here's the deal. Um, I've just not been settled with what I'm going to talk about this weekend. Um, the, the passage that we're looking at is Psalm 130. We're going to stick there. Um, but I'm literally cutting out over 50% of what I was originally going to talk about tonight. Um, so if you're looking, if you're following along in the notes, um, a lot of that's, we're not going to even hit it. Okay, we're going to settle into Psalm 130 tonight, um, which means this sermon may be a lot shorter than normal. And all the Clemson fans said... Amen. Right, all right. You're not, no, that's not what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say, aw, man. Okay. Um, but here's, here's the other side of that. It may go a lot longer than it originally planned, right? I, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but here's the deal. I don't want to come in tonight just feeling like I've got to get through this sermon. I want us to come out of tonight feeling like God has gotten his sermon into us, Okay. And so I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm going to follow the Spirit's leading. Literally an hour ago, I said, I'm just scrapping half of this. And we're just going to see what God wants to say to every single one of us, okay? So with that in mind, would you, would you pray with me as we kind of enter into this time together? Uh, God, tonight we are just grateful to be here. We're grateful to, that you have given us the, the breath of life. Every breath that we have is a gift of mercy from your hand. And so, Lord, tonight we're just grateful that we can be here, that we can lift our voices, that we can open our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you might want to say to us. And God, I don't know what that is, and I don't know what, where everybody's at tonight. Uh, I don't know what is going on in the life of everyone in this room, but God, I know that you have a word for every single one of us. And so, Lord, we just want to be sensitive tonight to, um, to listen and to be open, and whatever it is that we hear tonight. Maybe there's a specific word and a verse, or maybe there's, I don't know. I don't know what you have for us, but I pray that you would speak. I pray that we would have ears to hear. I pray that you would use me to speak and that you would encourage me as well. And so, Lord, as we open your word, would we come uh, expectant for you to speak? Um, Lord, we trust that you have something for us. And so we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in this series called Crushed, and uh, the theme verse for this is Psalm 34, 18. And I hope maybe you may be just a little bit tired of hearing this verse, okay, because there's a chance that it may stick with you if that's the case. Psalm 34, 18, which says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Now that word crushed, what it literally means is to crumble or to bruise or to, to beat or to break into pieces. Okay, the way I think about this is like if you took, um, if you took a handful of, of cookies and stuck it in a Ziploc bag and stuck it in your backpack with like your 100-pound textbook, you know, like what would happen to your cookies? They would crumble, right? They'd be crushed. They'd be broken in pieces. There's no way they're, they're coming out of there intact, right? 
what this verse is saying is that there's times when that's how our spirit feels. Like it's been crushed and crumbled and broken in pieces, right? And we all get that, right? Because sometimes that's a day. We have a day like that where, man, our spirits are crushed. Sometimes we have weeks like that, right? So maybe some of you had a week where your spirit, it, like you just feel crushed. Sometimes we go through seasons, like prolonged seasons. We're like, when is this going to end? This is what we're talking about. The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Maybe it's due to uh, extreme stress. You know, something has popped up in your life that has caused stress that makes your heart feel crushed. Maybe, um, maybe it's unmet expectations. A lot of times we have expectations of how things should be, and they don't, they don't go as planned, right? And so unmet, unmet expectations. This happens in marriages and relationships and life. And so we get disappointed, we get, we get down about it. And so some, maybe that's the reason. Maybe it's because somebody hurt you or somebody disappointed you. Maybe deeply, maybe in a small way, but man, it, it impacted you. And so your spirit is, is crushed. You know, when we go through seasons like this of disappointment or, or hurt or suffering, we use phrases a lot of times. Phrases like, man, I'm down, or uh, man, I'm just in a hole right now, or I feel like I'm in a pit. Or sometimes we would say, man, she has hit rock bottom, right? Or sometimes we say, well, there's nowhere to go but up, right? So there's this idea of we're in this, this hole, we're in this pit, and we all understand that. We get that language, and we use that sometimes. And here's what's, here's what's cool is when you look at the Psalms, which is, is the book of the Bible we're looking at, um, what you see is the psalmists use the same kind of terminology and imagery over and over as well. And we're going to see that in Psalm um, 130. They use this, this terminology of, of being in a pit or being in despair, being in this hole. And, and the truth of what we see in Psalm 34 is that the Lord saves the crushed in spirit. In other words, he is able to reach into that hole, into that pit that we find ourselves in, and he is able to actually save us and pull us out of that place. And so we're going to look at Psalm 130. Psalm 130, so you can flip there in your Bible or on your app. Um, it'll be on the screens as well. We're going to kind of look at this um, a couple verses at a time. Um, this, this psalm, Psalm 130, um, is, is known as one of the favorite psalms of a man named Martin Luther, okay? Um, he's, he's a pretty man, right? And some of you are like, that's Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King Jr., two different people, all right? Um, he's a handsome fellow from, you know, the 16th, 15th, 16th century, right? Um, Martin Luther, uh, and, and you should know about him because he was, was very instrumental in a day that, that is celebrated around the world this upcoming week on October 31st. You know what I'm talking about? On October 31st, Reformation Day, right? You all celebrate that, right? Oh, wait, you're thinking about Halloween. No, 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 no. There's a day called Reformation Day, okay? So on October 31st, um, 1517, uh, this man was instrumental uh, in, in, in what we call the, the Reformation, which was a period of time where the church got back to the gospel. It really got back to the word of God, 
really instrumental period of time in, in church history, um, very instrumental for all of us as followers of Jesus. In fact, I'm going to give you maybe the, the furthest out tease for a series that I've ever given. Um, next October, we'll talk more about this, all right? I mean, can you believe it? I'm looking a year out. But we will, in next October, talk about um, some of these things, because I think it's important for us to know the, the stream of faith that we, we are part of, okay? Um, but... Halloween is actually a day called Reformation Day because on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed what is called the 95 Theses to uh, the, the, the doorway or the, the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Okay, and he was a German monk, and really what he was doing was, was trying to get the church back to the Word of God. And so it's an incredibly important time in church history. That's kind of a tangent. Um, sorry about that. But, but this is Psalm 130. It was one of his, he's really one of our, the church fathers, okay? And this was one of his favorite psalms. Now, if you look at Psalm 130, depending on what, what Bible you're using, you may see in the very, the very beginning of, of that uh, psalm, Psalm 130, it may say, a song of ascents, okay? Does anybody have that in your Bible or on your app? A song of ascents, or... So, so this is what we would call one of the psalms or songs of ascent, okay, which is, is Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, okay, this group of psalms that were, they were thought to be recited by Jewish pilgrims as they were making their way or ascending to Jerusalem for some of the sacrificial feasts and festivals and other times of worship. And so these were kind of like their pilgrim songs, okay, as they were making their way to Jerusalem, to, to worship God. And so many of these psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, they express the, the affliction of life, all right, that, these, that the people of God undergo. And at the same time, they extol, like, the goodness and the greatness of God, that he is the hope and the joy and the source of life. And so you imagine these, these exiles, these pilgrims who are making their way back to worship God in Jerusalem, and they're making this journey, and they're singing these songs. They're reciting these psalms or songs that are, are right where we live. It's talking about the affliction that we deal with, and yet in the midst of all that, that God is the source of joy and hope and life. And so this is one of those songs or psalms of ascent. And so we're going to look at this Two verses, a couple verses at a time. So look at verse number one. And, and again, here's what I want us to do as, as, you, as we read through this. The psalmist was just a normal person like you and I who was going through life and is sitting down and is essentially like, kind of like journaling, all right? Crying out to God, writing to God, writing, putting pen to paper or quill to parchment or whatever it was, right? And writing out, you guys are supposed to laugh at some of these stupid, like, dad jokes, right? Um, here's the deal. Writing out these prayers to God. And I want you to put yourself in the place of, of the psalmist who is going through it and is, is, is crying out to God, right? So Psalm 130, verse number one, says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And I want to pause there because I think that's, that is such a powerful phrase that we could run right by. He says, out of the what? Out of the depths. I'm crying to you, oh Lord. You know what he's, what he's expressing here? Like, I am in a hole right now. Like, I am in the depths of despair. I am in this pit. 
I am, I'm, it's not just, oh, man, I'm have, God, I'm having a, a rough day. Man, I'm really having a hard time. No, this is, I am crying out to you from the depths. I mean, have you ever felt like you were in that place? Like, I don't even know how to explain it. I am just in the, in the thick of it. I am in the depths. And God, I'm crying out to you. And he says in verse 2, Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Okay, this reminds me, I don't know why I just had this dumb image in my head. Any, any of you ever seen um, the Batman movie, the, the first one with Christian Bale? I don't even remember what it's called. My son could tell me. Um, the first one where he falls into this pit and all the bats come swooping in. Okay, if you're not tracking with me, sorry. But he's in this hole, right? And he's, he's like, how am I ever going to get out of this pit? And it's like, who is ever going to hear me or recognize that I'm stuck here. And this is kind of like the psalmist who is crying out. He's like, God, you're the only one who's actually, who knows where I'm at. You're the only one who can hear me in this place. Because maybe you're going through life and you're just, you're putting on the face, you're going through the motions, you're, you're going through your classes or your work, you're doing the family thing, you're doing all the stuff you normally do and you have the smile on your face and yet inwardly, in your spirit, you're crying out from the depths. God, nobody else sees me in this place. Nobody else knows where I'm at. But God, I'm calling out to you. I'm crying out to you. Would you hear my voice? Would you let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for what? For mercy. So here's what he's doing. He's crying out from the depths. And he says, I need what? Mercy, help, compassion, your pity. God, I need you. And I'm crying out from this place. I don't know what else to do. And I'm crying out. You, would, you, would you listen? Would you hear me? Would you let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy? God, I'm begging you. Would you have mercy? Would you see where I'm at? And would you have compassion? Would you help me? Because I'm stuck. This is the psalmist. This is sometimes you and me. Some of you, this is you right now. You may look good on the outside, but you're crying out from the depths. And he says in verse number three, if you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, which, which just means sins, our offenses against God. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? You know what he's saying here? There's this kind of recognition he comes to. This, he kind of comes to this place where he goes, man, God, if you were to actually mark out iniquity, like every single one of my sins. Okay, have, have you ever felt like maybe if you're a teenager, um, I'm sure my teenagers feel this way, like, like every single one of your like, offenses, like your parents catch every single one of them, like everything you do is wrong. And, and I, sometimes we feel that way, right? And, we, and, and the psalmist is saying, God, if you were to mark out every single one of my offenses, every one of my iniquities, every single one of my sins against you, who in the world would stand? 
Like, who could actually stand before you? And I think of, like, a judge, right? Like, who could actually stand before you and be acquitted? Who, what, what's, the, what's the answer? No one, right? This is, this is um, uh, what's the word? What kind of question is this? Um, a hypothetical or a, what's that? Rhetorical. That's the word. A rhetorical question. The answer is no one. Like, every single person would stand guilty before you if you were to mark every sin. And it's like, like track with me here. The psalmist is, is in the depths, and he's crying out for mercy. And all of a sudden, he, he recognizes who he's calling out to. And he goes, oh, my goodness. I don't even deserve mercy. Because if you were going to mark every one of my sins... I would, I would be guilty, and there's no way I could stand before you. If you, oh Lord, if you were to mark iniquity, who could stand? And what happened, right, in, in this moment, listen, this is so important. He saw his own sinfulness, because here's what happens. When you and I get into a, a pit when you and I become disappointed and frustrated and angry, you know what it's easy to do? It is easy to see the sins of every other person around you. Amen? It is easy. Every single one of you can easily point out my sins and my shortcomings and my failures. But for me to look in the mirror and go, oh, yeah, I see it. That doesn't happen very easily, right? I see the sins of every single other person. It's hard to look in the mirror and go, oh my goodness, I am a sinner. I don't deserve mercy. If you were to mark my sin, I'd be dead. This doesn't happen easily or often. Or for some of us, dare I say, ever. We see others as the sinners and we're the innocent And the psalmist says, God, I don't even deserve your mercy. And listen, sometimes we are in a pit. Listen, we're always in a pit because of sin. Sometimes it's the sin of living in a broken world. It's just the byproduct of living in a sinful, broken world that is not as God intended it to be. Because sin has tainted everything. Sometimes it's because of the sin of somebody else against you. Sometimes we are in that place because someone has legitimately sinned against us. Sometimes we are in a pit because of our own sin. Because we have sinned and we have gone away from God's ways. But we are always in a pit because of sin, one way or the other. And there's only one way of rescue. There's only one way of escape. It's always through Jesus. It is always through Jesus. I want you to see what he says in the next verse. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, verse 4, but with you, there is what? Forgiveness. With you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You know what forgiveness is? It's kind kind of a financial term, all right? It's like to pardon a debt. It's to cancel a liability, Okay, it's, in other words, you owe me something, and if I forgive you, I am canceling what you owe me. I'm saying, no, 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 you don't, you don't owe me any longer. You are free and clear. 
And forgiveness is a pardon of debt. And what the psalmist says is, if you were to mark iniquity, if you were to mark sin, no one could stand. But with you, there is forgiveness. You are the one who clears the slate. You don't mark iniquities. You mark out iniquities through the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. It says, with you there is forgiveness. And so he sees his, his own sinfulness, and yet he turns to God for forgiveness. He recognizes, I am a sinner. And, and here's what I want to say this morning. If you find yourself in a pit, the easiest thing to, go, to do or to see is all the sin around you and all those who have sinned against you, instead saying, God, you are gracious and you have forgiven me of all of my sins. And there is forgiveness with you. There is redemption in you. There is hope in you. And I am guilty and I need mercy. I need grace. I need to receive it. I need to give it. And he says, with you there is forgiveness. And I want you to see how, how, he, how he moves on. Okay, he finds forgiveness. He finds cleansing. Verse number five, he says this. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. You know, when you, when you look in your Bible, um, you're, unless you've done it yourself, you're typically not going to find like highlighting and marking and writing and all circling and all that kind of stuff, right? Like in my notes, when there's something I want to emphasize, like if you look through my notes, there's all kinds of writing and highlighting and circling and scribbling. Maybe some of your Bibles look like that, but, but that's not how God kind of gave us the scriptures. But if you want to know what God really highlights, what he wants us to really hear, the way God highlights in his word is he repeats stuff, okay? He says it twice. He says it more than once. And what you see in, in verse number five and six, you see the psalmist kind of repeating himself, right? He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul does what? Waits for the Lord. So three times he says, my soul waits for the Lord. Now, now let me slow down here, okay? Because we hear this phrase throughout scripture and we go, okay, I wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. Like, think through this for a second. Okay, he's highlighting. He's kind of circling here. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. Think about what that word means. Okay, what the word waits means. How many of you like to wait? <laughs> Have you ever sat in a waiting room? Like, isn't that the worst place in the world? <laughs> waiting, waiting, waiting. And, and, I've, and I've heard it said that, like, a lot of life... Not physically, literally, but a lot of life is sitting in God's waiting room. It's waiting, waiting for the Lord. It's, 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 here, here's, a, here's one of the ways that I think of, of this word. This is a way that we, we don't think of often. Okay, if you go to a sit-down restaurant, uh, nowadays, the people who, who kind of serve you, they're called the server, right? Because it kind of fits male-female. But I remember back in the day, says the old guy, they used to be called something different. They used to be called a waiter or a waitress, right? Because they're waiting on you. What does that mean to 
wait on somebody? What are, what are they doing when they're waiting on you? They're waiting for you to have a need. They're waiting to serve you, right? They're waiting to take care of you. When you talk about this idea of waiting on the Lord, sometimes we think, oh, that means I've got to sit like in the waiting room and like, God, when are you going to do something? This is the worst. How many pointless magazines can I flip through? I mean, that's, that's before cell phones, all right? How, many, how much time can I waste in the waiting room waiting for you to actually come out of the room and call on me, to call me back? Like, I'm, I'm wasting all of this time. That's not, that's not what the psalmist was saying. He was saying, I'm waiting for the Lord. I'm putting myself in a position where I am attentive, like a waiter serving you, right? I am here and I'm waiting for the Lord to move. I'm waiting for him to do something. I'm waiting for him to act and I want to respond. And and, and here's what happens. When we go through despair, you know what we're waiting on? You know what typically we're waiting on? I'm waiting for this junk to end, right? I'm waiting for this madness to be over. Get me out, And you know what the psalmist says? He's not saying, God, I'm waiting for you to end this. I am waiting for you to get me through this or around this or out of this. He says, I am waiting, how? For the Lord. That even in the midst of all of this, and this is what we talked about last week, even in the midst of this, I'm waiting for you. I'm not waiting for the conclusion of the season. I'm waiting on you and for you. And he goes on and he says something else a couple times. He says, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. And you know something that happens here? He says the exact same thing, right? And you're like, are you stuttering? What, what? More than watchmen for the morning. He says this, and, I, and again, this cap, captures my attention, because I'm like, why would the psalmist, like, this is like writing something, and then like, oh, let me write it again. You do that on purpose, right? More than watchmen for the morning. And you think of a watchman, okay, back in, in Bible times, it was someone who was in an elevated position, and they were watching over the city, they were watching for adversaries to come, all right? And so they would... They would stay up and they would watch and they would, keep, they would keep watch to make sure if anyone is approaching the city, if there's anyone that's, that's going to cause potential harm, I'm going to warn. I'm the last line of defense here. And so they would stay up all night. Like, ha, ha, let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever worked like overnight, third shift? Anybody ever done that? Okay. It's, it's a fun life, right? And some of you are still doing that. Uh, I did that for at least a year, year and a half. And you know what? Um, I got used to the rhythm of life. But the one thing that never changed, and I only did it for a year, okay, so maybe some of you have gotten through this if this has been in your life. There was one thing I was looking forward to every single night. You know what it was? It was the morning. It was the sun coming up. Like, oh boy, I'm ready to go home and sleep, right? I am ready to get out of here. I am waiting for the morning. And listen. If you're familiar at all, if you, you, you can trace it through the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, what you find is that the Christian life 
It talks about that we are in the night, but there is coming the morning. In fact, you can go back and look in Malachi chapter 4, last chapter of the Old Testament, before, before Jesus the Messiah comes on the scene in the New Testament, the very last chapter of the Old Testament. You see in Malachi 4, it talks about this time when the Son of Righteousness, and it's spelled S-U-N, but there's a very clear connection correlation with the sun, the S-O-N, the sun of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. Listen, the Bible talks about a time, the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus will will return, he will come back, and it will be the morning, and he will rise with healing in his wings, and he will make all things new again. And listen, he talks about this and I believe this is, this is pointing forward to Jesus in the time of his return. My soul waits for the Lord, not just for the Lord to get me through the stuff that I'm going through, but my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5, I want you to see this, this verse. For his anger, speaking of the Lord, is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the what? The morning. Listen, y'all, there is a day coming when Jesus is going to return and restore all things and make all things the way they were intended to be, and that is going to be the morning time, and that, it, that is what all of creation, all of history is pointing towards, that moment when Jesus would return and establish his kingdom and make all things right. And the psalmist says, my soul waits for you not just to get me through this Man, I cannot wait until you return and make all things right again, Lord Jesus. Because here's what happens. When we go through suffering, it should, it should put us into a place not where we run away from God, but where it so binds our souls to the Savior that we cannot wait for his return when he will make every single wrong right, when he will make all things new when all of his plans and purposes will come to fruition it's the morning y'all that is coming and he says my soul waits for the lord more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning man i love it so going through suffering And disappointment should cause us to yearn for the day when Jesus will come back. And I want you to see the end of this this passage, the end of Psalm 130. So he's he's in the pit and he's crying out for mercy. He sees that, that he's a sinner and that with God there is forgiveness. And then he he turns his hope and his waiting towards the Lord. And so his, his gaze has gone from his problems, his gaze has gone from all of the stuff going on around him, his gaze has, has become transfixed on the morning and what God is doing and what God is taking him towards. And then he comes through in verses 7 and 8 and says this, Oh Israel, okay, he, he's no longer just crying out to the Lord for mercy for himself, he's, he's, 
He's calling out to Israel. It's kind of like he's come out of the depths and he's now on the, the mountaintop trying to call out and encourage and, and challenge the people of Israel. And he says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him there is plentiful redemption. This is it's just like what he said earlier. He said, with the Lord is forgiveness. And so here's what he said. He said, you want to find forgiveness? You want to find steadfast love, which like we said last week is a never give up, never runs out kind of love. You want to find redemption? Listen, this is what all of humanity is seeking constantly and searching for, is for forgiveness and for redemption and all of these things. And steadfast love that doesn't give up on us. He says, if you want to find it, you know where it's at. It's with the Lord. It's with him. Go to him. It's with him. And he's, the psalmist is crying out to the people, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there's steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Here's what he says. He's got it. And he'll do it. He will redeem. He will redeem. And he goes from this place of being in the depths to calling out to everyone around him saying, listen, y'all, he redeems. He has redeemed. He will redeem. Listen, it may not come until the morning, but he will redeem. He will bring all things together. And this reminds me of another psalm. And I want you to... The last couple minutes, I want you to look with me at Psalm 40, okay? Psalm 40, and this is going to be the end of this sermon, the end of this, this series. Again, one of my favorite psalms. And so let me, let me tell you a quick story about Psalm 40, because there's, there's a, a, a huge heart connection for me with Psalm 40. I love this psalm because Psalm 40 was actually the very first words I ever remember reading in the Bible. Psalm 40. And let me tell you the story, okay? So uh, I did not grow up going to church, knowing anything about God. Um, but I remember in my fifth, sixth grade years, okay, um, talking about mid-80s. And I have a brother who is six years older than me, okay? And so when he was in high school, uh, I was in, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade years. And I remember during those, those 80s, okay, um, how, many of, how many of you live through the 80s. Just let me see how many. Okay, so a lot of you, okay, some of you don't remember some of it, okay? Um, but I remember in the mid-80s, my brother was six years older than me. He loved this band that became huge on the scene, and it was a global, like, they had a global impact, and it was a band called U2, okay? And I just totally spit. <laughs> okay, uh, U2 was this huge band in the mid-80s, and into the late 80s, they were hitting their stride. Like, this is a global thing, all right? This is a band that's still around, like, 40 years later, I'm telling you. Uh, I took my kids to a concert in Tampa two years ago to see them. It's like, yes, this is my, these are my boys. But I remember, they had this song, okay? I'm, again, I'm a fifth, sixth grade kid, and my brother loves this band, and so I'm hearing some of their music, and, uh, and he's kind of, like, playing it, and they, I remember these videotapes of these concerts they had, and they would end every single concert with a song that was called 40, okay? And the song, I remember, was amazing. It kind of was mellow, but it, there, was, there was something about this song, um, and they ended every, every concert with this song. And, and I remember the words to it. Um, it said, uh, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined and he heard my cry. 
He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. And, and then it kind of works into this chorus that says, I will sing, I will sing a new song. And it goes on in the next verse that talks about how he set my feet upon a rock. And many will see, many will see and hear. And I remember there was just, as a kid who has no clue who God is, I remember hearing the song and it moved me every time. I had no idea why, but there was something I know now was very worshipful about it, okay? And I remember as a fifth, sixth grade kid, I remember going through my house trying to find a Bible. I was like, I know there's one somewhere around here. And I remember going into this closet, um, which was just this kind of mess of a closet that had toys and like all kinds of stuff. I remember going into a closet and finding this old Bible, okay? And I remember opening it and finding the book of Psalms because what that Psalm 40 was, it was a it was a retelling of Psalm 40. And I remember finding out that that song was actually from the Bible. And I was like, really? Okay, I want to go find a Bible, and I want to read Psalm 40. And doggone it, every time I hit this, um, this was literally five years or so before I ever heard the gospel, before I ever knew who Jesus was, before I ever surrendered my life to God. This was fifth or sixth grade kid. I remember opening the Bible and reading Psalm 40. Now, did it, did it mean to, a lot to me then? I don't, I don't remember much about it. I just remember opening the Bible. What I know now and what I knew years after that event was I could see the fingerprints of God at work in my life. And I could see that he was preparing me and planting a seed and turning my life towards Christ. Now, that's, that has nothing to do with what we're getting ready to read, all right? But I remember this, this psalm has so much meaning to me. And I, and I think if you, if you listen to the words of, of the psalmist, you see, again, this is David crying out here. This is what we've been talking about this whole series, being crushed in spirit and yet finding hope in the Lord. And the psalmist David says in Psalm 40, verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from what? The pit of destruction. I cried out to him. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And what did he do? He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. He says, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. And so David, he says, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And here's what he says. I was in a pit. My spirit was crushed. I was in need of mercy and forgiveness. And God, when I cried out to you, you heard my cry. And you pulled me up. You drew me up out of this pit. And you 
I set my feet on a rock. You know what the rock is? It's Jesus. As you set my feet upon a rock, you rescued me, you redeemed me. And now, listen, here's what David says. You put a new song in my mouth and I'm going to sing it. I'm going to shout it. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to declare it. Why? Because you brought me up out of the depths. Not so that I could get through suffering, but so that I could sing a song of praise to you and to point everybody to you, Jesus. And God, this evening... You know where we are at. You know where our hearts are. Father, some of us need to call out to you for mercy and forgiveness for the very first time. We've spent all our days walking in pride and arrogance, thinking that we know the way. And yet, God, tonight in your presence, we're humble maybe for the first time tonight some of us realize that we need your forgiveness and we need your redemption but God help us to know that when we cry out to you when we call upon your name you hear our cry you listen your ear is attentive to our cry and you answer us and you respond to us and you pull us up out of the pit you rescue us from the depths and you set our feet upon a rock God that if we would humble ourselves tonight before you and call upon your name for forgiveness you would give it to us that you would cleanse us and you would redeem us and so tonight Lord Maybe we have a relationship with you. Maybe, God, we're just struggling. God, wherever we're at tonight, we're crying out to you. We ask that you would hear us, that you would humble us. God, if the repentance needs to happen, help us to turn from our ways to you tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. And would you stand with us just with your heads bowed? Go ahead and stand with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed for just a moment worship in just a moment and continue to worship but I don't know where you're at tonight maybe you need to confess your sin to God and ask for forgiveness and enter into a relationship with Christ maybe you've never done that man we would love to talk with you I'd love to talk with you I would ask you before tonight ends would you find me find somebody that came with talk to one of us we would love to introduce you to Jesus tonight maybe tonight you just need to come to this altar and pray and cry out to God. Maybe you need to seek his forgiveness. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness from somebody else. Maybe you just need to humble yourself before God tonight and thank him for his steadfast love and his mercy. I don't know what your need is tonight, but as we get ready to sing, would you, from where you're at, or maybe you want to come forward, or maybe you want to head to the cross at the sides of the room, would you take this time and worship to the Lord?
Father, again, we come before you. We bring our hearts and we bring our every need. We bring our heaviness and our burdens. God, we want to find joy in you. So tonight we wait for you. We wait for you. We wait for the morning because we know joy is coming. So, Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name.